Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. Heavenly Father, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our wills and bend them to your own. And above all else, Lord Jesus, set our hearts on fire with a love for you. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. Please be seated, and uh, we are going to be in Colossians chapter 1 today. Uh, so if you have your Bibles with you, you can, you can move to Colossians chapter 1. We have a little bit of work to do before we get there, though, because we want to introduce our new sermon series. <clears throat> this is, as Ben told us a little while ago, this is the last Sunday of ordinary time. Um, if that means the, the church, this is the last day of the church year, or the church calendar, uh, and next Sunday. Sunday, we begin Advent, uh, Advent 1. And so we're going to move into a new sermon series that we're calling The Time Between that will take us through the, uh, the season of Advent. This, this title, as well as, the, uh, as well as the title of the sermon today, both come from a book called uh, Advent, the Once and Coming the Once and Future Coming of Jesus Christ by Fleming Rutledge. And so if you get the opportunity to read that book over the course of Advent, I would encourage you to do so. So Advent is an often overlooked season. It's sort of like Christmas's little sister, right? Because Christmas has all the songs and the trees and the presents and the sweaters and the mythological creatures that break into your house while you're sleeping. Like Christmas has all of those things. And Advent, Advent is the season in front of Christmas, lesser known. It's a little more serious. It kind of wears thick glasses and it dresses in dark blue and sits on the porch staring out into the night, pondering the realities of the world. It's a little more subdued and can be easily forgotten. But in reality, Advent is a profoundly important and amazing start to the church year. Perhaps more than any other season, Advent embodies where we are right now as Christians. It, is our, it shows our perspective on the, on the present moment of the timeline of history uh, and, uh, and the implications for, for our lives. L- let me explain what I mean by that. Advent means arrival. Uh, and specifically, in this case, it means the arrival of Jesus Christ. And so, so we look during Advent, we're in this middle time, this time between where we're looking backwards to understand the future. We look backwards to the Old Testament to see how the, the people of God and Israel longed for the coming of the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ who would come to save the people. We read many passages in the Old Testament about their, how their expectation of God, how he would come and fulfill his promises to save and to straighten. How they, how they pour out their grief at the world that they're living in, and they recognize that God is the only one who can remedy their situation. But Advent, Advent emphasizes their cries for deliverance. And that those cries for deliverance also come with hope because they trust God. And so we read passages like this from Isaiah 2 that we're going to read next week in Advent 1. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and 
All the nations shall flow to it. Then many peoples shall come to say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall, shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And listen closely to this. And he shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. And nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. You hear, you hear this future expectation. It shall come to pass. It shall be established. The people shall come. There's this future expectation. And now, we understand because of Christmas and incarna- in the incarnation, we know that the longed-for Messiah, the, the one that the Old Testament people of Israel longed for, he did come. He did come to fulfill their promises. And so now in Advent, where we are on the timeline, Christ has come and he's coming again. And if the promises that he made to the Old Testament people of God came true in the person of Jesus, how much more can we trust then that when he says he's going to return to make all things new, that we can trust that that will happen again? And so here we are in the time between, understanding that the promises that were made were fulfilled in Christ and will be fulfilled in Christ again. So it helps us to understand our current reality. When, when Isaiah says, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks, and nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore, imagine what that sounds like to the Christians in Ukraine. These are the promises that there will be war no more. This is the hope. This is the expectation. This is the joy. And so during Advent, we recognize the place that we are in, in between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus and the promises that were fulfilled in Jesus and will be fulfilled when he comes again. So we very much share the place of the Old Testament prophets and the, on the psalmists and, uh, and the, the Old Testament people. We share their longing for the coming of the Messiah And we have even greater confidence because we know he has already come once. Advent is the only season of the church year that overtly looks forward into the future to Christ's return. And so the word we use in the church is eschatological. That means dealing with the end times, when, when Christ shall return. So Advent is eschatological. It looks forward into what Christ is going to do. But we don't, can't understand what Christ is going to do in the future without looking back to see what he has already done. Again, we are in the time between. We understand our eschatology and our understanding of the, the narrative of history is that although Christ fulfilled the longings of Israel, they are not fully and completely fulfilled until his coming again. Our eschatology has not been realized, it has been inaugurated. In other words, a phrase that we use is the already and the not yet at the same time. The already that's happened, and the not yet, it's not quite happened fully yet. In, in 
examples like this. Yes, our sins are forgiven, but we're still sinners, right? Yes, your sins are forgiven. If you have repented and believed in Jesus and been adopted as his child by his blood on the cross, your sins are forgiven. But you have not stopped sinning, right? If you don't believe me, ask your spouse. Right? I mean, so, so there's the already and the not yet. There's the already that we've been forgiven, and then one day there will be glorification when Christ returns to make all things new, where sin will be no more. And that's the not yet. So we're in the already and the not yet. Yes, the Spirit has been given to the church to help bring about the righteousness of God in the world, but not all people follow Him as Lord Yet, already, and not yet. Yes, our eternal destination has been determined, but there is still sickness and death and suffering in the world, already in the not yet. But one day, the not yet will be fulfilled in the same way that the longing of Israel was fulfilled when God came the first time in Christ. We are after the incarnation, the first coming of Christ, and before the parousia, the second coming, the consummation when Christ will return. And this is where we are. And so what does that, what does that mean? This should have profound implications for our lives. I mean, it should shape everything when we understand that this is the point of history that we, that we are in. That, that it's headed someplace, that there's a, there's a trajectory to history, and that we are on a particular point in that timeline being built upon the trust of learning what God has done in the past and the promises of his future return. This should shape every moment of every day for us, because it should bring in us a, a sense of expectation of the any moment return of Christ. Sometimes it feels that his return has been delayed, and so we forget. Sometimes we grow complacent. But friends, we should live with expectation that at any moment, Christ should return. In the twinkling of an eye, any moment, right now. Right now. That was going to work. I prayed. I prayed for that. That was, that was, it was going to come right then. I don't know what happened in our community. But any, any moment... Christ should return. Any moment. Let me say it again. Any moment the trumpet could sound and Christ can return. We should live with a sense of expectation, but then that, that should also then lead us to the question of, okay, if Christ is coming again, how do we prepare? Right? I mean, Thanksgiving's coming up, and maybe you are having family in, or you're going to see family or friends or wherever you are spending Thanksgiving, and there's preparation for that, right? We went to Costco this weekend. That was a bad life choice, <laughs> right? I mean, it was like, like, I mean, people are preparing. I've never seen so much sugar being bought all at one time, right? Uh, and, and people are preparing. You are in your house. You're making your guest room ready. You are, you're cleaning things. You're hiding the sharp objects because your family's coming into town. And the 18-year and the scotch, like you've got that put away somewhere else. It's preparation for family coming. Well, if Christ is coming, how should we prepare? How do we prepare if Christ the King is coming? 
And this is a, this is a great day that for us to hinge this, this conversation on the return of Christ um, in our preparation and expectation that we talk about in Advent because this is Christ the King Sunday. And so when we are talking about the general idea of expectation and preparation that is the season of Advent, Christ the King Sunday sets us up to understand what are we expecting and preparing for except the coming of our King. The King is coming to your house. The King is coming to your house. Advent is about the reign of Jesus Christ. The one who is coming is our King. Philippians chapter 3 verse 20 says that our citizenship is in heaven from which we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you are a Christian in this room and you have been baptized into Christ, You are a citizen of another kingdom, and you eagerly await the coming of your king. It's good to see many images in the scripture that describe the person and work of Christ. When they talk about shepherds, that's great imagery, right, of the loving aspect of the shepherds and let the little children come to me. It's beautiful. But perhaps the most prominent image of Christ in the New Testament is that of Christ the King the coming of the king back to his kingdom. There's big Lord of the Rings moments here that we could get into some other time, right? Um, that, uh, that, that Tolkien, even as a, as a good Christian and, uh, and faithful Catholic, wrote into the imagery of Middle-earth the longed-for coming of the king who would straighten out the chaos and push back the enemy. The Old Testament spoke of the Messiah as coming from the line of David, their greatest king, and that that the city of David is Bethlehem. And so you can hear things in Isaiah 11, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Jesse was David's dad, um, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. So the prophecy is that the coming Messiah will be from the line and lineage of David. So then we move to Luke chapter 2, the the great Christmas passage that we love to hear. Uh, For me, I always think of images of Christmas Eve, and it's dark, and we're in church, and we read, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And it talks here about how Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. So you see, the Old Testament longing in the rec- the, of the coming of God and the recognition that, that the Messiah was going to come from the lineage of David is then fulfilled in the fact that we see at the, uh, at the very birth of Christ, that's why it's important that he was born in Bethlehem of people from the line and lineage of David. Jesus was of kingly heritage. And then when Jesus grows up, he's baptized, he goes out to be tempted in the wilderness, he comes back and he starts his public ministry. In Matthew chapter 4, it says that he went about preaching. And what did he go about preaching? What was he saying when he preached? This is Jesus' message. Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So Jesus, of the line and lineage of David, coming to preach to the people, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here, it's present, now as I walk among you. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus is the king. As Americans, we have a hard time with this. 
right? We have a hard time. We like to throw tea in harbors when kings come around, right? Like that's, that's we don't tread on me. Like we don't, we don't want kings. It's sort of part of our identity that we push kings out. We can't imagine a single person being in charge of the government. But can you imagine that single person being in charge of the government as being all good, all loving, all powerful, but using his power for the flourishing of all the people in creation, that he's perfect and peaceful and good, so very good and wise, omniscient even. He's a good king for protection and provision and safety and upholding justice and bringing order Inspiring not rebellion, but devotion and praise and service. This is Jesus as king. This is, how do you clean up the mess that is politics in America and everywhere else in the world right now? What if God's mountain was made the highest mountain and everyone came to his mountain to learn his ways because the law would flow forth from Zion and from Jerusalem? That is the prophecy of Isaiah that we read at the beginning. That's how we fix the disorder of the world. We need a good king. Colossians 1.13 says that God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So he said we've been, there's, there's two kingdoms that he's talking about here. The domain of darkness and that when we have come to know Christ and repented and believed and belonged to him that we have become, we have been brought in, delivered us from the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of his beloved beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. This is, this is the reality for us as if you are a Christian, is that you've been transferred into a new kingdom. That's where your citizenship lies. That's where your hope lies, is in this new kingdom. And a kingdom has a king. And a king has a people. Before we are Anglicans or before we're Americans or before we're white or black or male or female or any other delineation, we are members of the kingdom of God. This should be our identity, and we should ponder it daily in a time when identity is a significant question, and we don't even know how to define it. Who are we? We are citizens of a great and beautiful kingdom led by a great and beautiful king. That's where identity should be every moment when we're awake. And so a kingdom has a king, and a king has a people, and a king, well, has a kingdom. And God created all things. You can read this in, in Colossians chapter 1, that, that through Jesus all things were created. And he starts talking about powers and dominions and authorities all over the world. All of these things are created, but here's the, here's the reality that we have to recognize. We're, we are citizens of another kingdom, of God's kingdom, but ever since Genesis chapter 3, God's kingdom has been in rebellion against him. It explains a lot, doesn't it, as to why there's so much disorder, why there's sickness, why there's pain, why there's suffering, why do, why do bad things happen to good people? Are there really good people? That's another question for another day. But why, why these things that seem unfair, that seem wrong, that seem twisted, why do these things happen? Because 
we live in the kingdom of God, but that we live in the midst of a rebellion. There's a war that is taking place in our midst right now. A kingdom that is in rebellion. The the scripture calls Satan the prince of the air. And Galatians calls this time the present evil age. This should start to shape our understanding of why the world is the way that it is uh, and and the tensions that exist within it and even help us to understand some of the framework of, gosh, when I look around, things just don't seem like they should be this way. And instead of asking... Where is is God in all this? And I don't know if I can believe in God because of all this. We look at this and say, this is the result when we don't believe in God, when we don't follow his ways, when we don't pursue his kingdom. And so our, our questions then should not be against where is he in his absence, but to say, Christ, we long for your return to make all things new. This is where we live. We are citizens of another kingdom, but that kingdom is in the midst of a rebellion. And ours now is not to side with the things of the world, but to act, to think, to behave, to love differently than the way that the world works, because we are citizens of another kingdom. In this time between the first coming of the king and the second coming of the king, We live now differently from the world that is in rebellion against him. Because a king rules his kingdom through his laws. And we have the truth of God in the scripture to see what is right and wrong, just and unjust, to understand the picture of what creation will look like when his rule is established. And so we are guided by not the ways of thinking of the culture that we are in, but of the word of God itself that governs the kingdom of light. And Jesus came the first time to initiate the resistance to this rebellion. He defeated death and guaranteed victory, the already. And then he sent his spirit to raise the church as his instrument of the kingdom to deal with the not yet. Jesus has already guaranteed the victory of of the resistance against the rebellion. Have no no fear that there's somehow this cosmic battle between Satan and God and that somehow that the, the outcome is in question depending on who wins. God has already won in the person of Jesus Christ as he defeated death and Satan crushed his head under his feet through the blood of the cross and his empty tomb. Our king is victorious. We're simply in the mop-up operation now. Right? So, so when you watch the movies, The Lord of the Rings, it ends very nicely. If you read the books, there's something that comes after the nice ending called The Scouring of the Shire. So read the book sometimes, because after the defeat of the bad guys, right, there is some of the bad guys who are left come in and still fight and destroy many parts of what is the peaceful shire. Although the victory has been won, the battle continues. It's Christian imagery as to where we are right now as well. So if we recognize this as where we are in this time between, then listen to what Paul says here in first or I'm sorry in Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 through 20. This is our king as he describes him. He is the image of the invisible God, 
the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him, listen to this, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on heaven or on earth, making peace by the blood of the cross. So if to be a Christian is to follow the king, then how are we, how are we about what the king is about? And what the king is about is reconciling all things to himself. So we start to understand then, how should we act? How should we be in the time between? We should be living under the rule of the king for the purposes of the king. And the purposes of the king are to reconcile all things to himself. Our role now is to push back the darkness and to represent the kingdom of light. Every act of forgiveness, of service, of selflessness, of standing for the truth as taught in the Scripture is participating in Christ in the coming of the kingdom. Expectation of the coming king should be our motivation and our preparation then should be to participate with him now. Goodness is an act of resistance to the rebellion. Beauty, love, compassion, hope and joy and endurance and perseverance and confidence and strength are resistance to the rebellion and beachheads for the kingdom. We work to live into his kingdom now. Our actions straighten what is crooked. Feeding the hungry, we take part in that because in the kingdom there will be no hunger. We work to end sex trafficking because in the kingdom there is no exploitation or slavery. We create art because it is a foretaste of the beauty of the kingdom. We forgive, we have mercy, we have grace, we put others before ourselves. We proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins because this is the kingdom of which we are a part and which is coming. We are heralds of the king. We are the ones like John the Baptist who are going before him to announce his coming. This is our reality in the time between. I love this this quote from, uh, from, from Aragorn in The Lord of the Rings. The people, the people of Gondor and of Rohan are together faced by a mass of snarling orcs and orokai, right? There's a big bad army coming after them. And Aragorn, who is, the, who is the figure of the returning king, says this, Hold your ground, sons of Gondor, of Rohan, my brothers. I see in your eyes the same fear that would take the heart of me. A day may come when the courage of men fails, when we forsake our friends and break all bonds of fellowship. But it is not this day. An hour of woes and shattering shields when the age of men comes crashing down. But it is not this day. This day we fight. By all that you hold dear on this good earth, I bid you stand, men of the West. Right? This is is the, the courage and the inspiration of a king who says, stand with me. And our king, our reality now is the same. Jesus says, stand with me. Victory is assured, but there is work to be done to push back this rebellion and this darkness that would seep over the earth. 
And this begins with us. Jesus said that in light of the present and coming kingdom, what does he say? Repent, for the kingdom is at hand. Turn away from the things of the world and turn towards him to know the truth and strength and light that he brings. And we're going to talk about that even more next week as we begin our series on, on uh, or our season of Advent with, with some mourning and some lamentation about the current condition of humankind. And we begin with that lamentation so that we understand how much we need the King to come and save us. And so here we are in this time between, in this battle, knowing that our King has come and is coming, knowing that He has won the first time on the cross and in the grave, and knowing that the second time, when He returns, that this is His promise for the second time. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, Revelation 21. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Advent, the once and future coming of Jesus, a reflection on our present actions in the time between. The king has come, so repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand, and the king is coming, so you can have hope and perseverance and joy knowing that he will make all things new. And in the time between, We live in expectation, we live in preparation and endurance, and we be about the work of the king as he reconciles all things to himself. Welcome to Advent. Welcome to the time between. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you that you are the God of history and that history itself is not by chance or by chaotic, but is ordered by your sovereign and divine hand. And we know, Lord, that, that the, you orchestrated the Old Testament in the way that you did and the history of your people as recorded there to lead to the coming of your son, Jesus Christ, and the recognition of who he is and, that what, and what he has done in redeeming the world. Lord, let us, let us have confidence in that same longing that the Israelites had for the coming again of Christ, when he will make all things new. Make our hearts ache. Make us long for it. Make us eager. Make us anticipate and expect your return. And in between those two times, let us live for your kingdom. Let us recognize the reality of the world in which we live a place that is chaotic, a place that is in rebellion, a place where there is suffering that is the already and the not yet. And let us be people of your kingdom, people of light, people who straighten what is crooked, people who are joyful in the midst of sorrow, people who have a confidence because we know that our king is victorious. Bless us during this season of Advent and let us contemplate your return and let us contemplate the time between. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.